Okay, well, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. If you have your Bibles, open up with me uh, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Those texts that were read this morning uh, will not be the, necessarily the texts we're preaching through, but wanted to have those on the forefront of our minds as we celebrate Christmas and as we uh, dig into these couple of verses in Hebrews 13 uh, this morning. Now, probably uh, my favorite book in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia is, the, is book number three, uh, The Horse and His Boy. Uh, now, it was sort of a, it's sort of a strange one in the series, and I used to think it was the weirdest book out of them all. I mean, not usually the most popular book in the series, uh, but I've come to appreciate it over the last few years in a deeper way as we've reread uh, the books with the boys. For those of you unfamiliar with the story of the horse and his boy, it's, a, it's about a boy named Shasta who is an orphan and he's taken in by a fisherman and the fisherman mistreats him. And then once he's grown, he plans to sell him into slavery. And so Shasta steals a horse named Bree and they escape and they, they're trying to escape and head uh, north to Narnia. But all along the way, they, they encounter all, a lot of troubles, a lot of dangers, uh, a lot of uh, things that just are going wrong and a lot of hardships. Uh, really what could be described as a series of unfortunate events uh, happen in Shasta's life. I mean, first he's, he's a baby and he's abandoned. And yes, then he's rescued by this fisherman, but then the fisherman's not good to him and mistreats him. And then, and then he runs away. And then when he runs away, there's like lions chasing him. And then there's times where he's sleeping outside and he's surrounded by jackals and wild animals. And he's, he's trying to fall asleep and he's fearful and just all these dangers surround him. And and then again, at the end of the story, he gets chased by lions once again. And I mean, talk about bad luck. You've probably never been chased by a lion, but this guy, he's getting chased by lions all the time. And all these things that are happening to him, they seem like really sad, unfortunate, joyless, and hopeless events. And it's not till the end of the book that Aslan shines light on Shasta's story, which we'll get to a little bit later on. But without the light that Aslan shines on Shasta's story, Shasta's story could seem like a string of really sad, really unfortunate, really joyless and hopeless events. And in a similar way, someone without the light that Christ shines could look at the history of our world and could see a string of really sad, really unfortunate, joyless and hopeless events events. Someone without the light that Christ shines could look at their own light, maybe their own life. Maybe some of you this morning are, you can look at your own life and, and Christ's light has not shown, shown you all, all, the, all the, the good things that have happened in your life and all the ways that God has been present with you and the, the light hasn't come down on you yet and you're looking at your own life and you see your own life and all you can really see is just this series of sad, unfortunate, joyless, and hopeless events. And church, this is why what we are celebrating this morning and tomorrow morning is so important. It's because what we celebrate on Christmas is that those who were walking in darkness have seen a great light. For the light of the world has come, and his name is Jesus. And he is the one who is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Church, to believe that God is with us, I'm telling you, it shines a life-giving, life-transforming light on all the darkness and the shadows that we walk through. When received and believed, the Christmas story, it, it changes everything in your life. And specifically this morning, we are going to be reminded of how the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem should lead to contentment in our hearts. This is the series we've been preaching through this month. We've been, we've been trying to learn contentment for Christmas so that as Christmas morning approaches, we have already started to grow in our ability to be content in Christ. And this morning, we, we cap off the series by learning that we can learn to be content. We can grow in our contentment ultimately because God is with us. God is with us. And so this entire month, we've been talking about contentment, for those of you that haven't been with us. Uh, and Jeremiah Burroughs defined contentment as the inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. Have you learned contentment? Have you learned what it means to have an inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit that can freely submit to and take pleasure in God's disposal in every condition? Another definition we've been using, a shorter one for contentment, is by Nancy Wilson. She says, contentment is a deep satisfaction with the will of God. Are we learning and growing to have a deep satisfaction with the will of God? And so this morning will be the concluding sermon uh, for the series, Contentment for Christmas. And uh, listen, this morning, I don't have a bunch of new stuff to give you. I don't have a, a bunch of more material or quotes or practical advice or wisdom to give you. Hopefully you've, you've gotten those these last three weeks. But this morning, I mainly want us to see that contentment will come into our hearts Contentment will grow and flourish and thrive in our hearts, and our hearts will be quieted when we fully embrace the truth that God is with us. This is so necessary for to have a, a heart that is content. We must believe and receive and trust in the fact that God is with us. And so later on today, we're going to close this morning's gathering by singing Silent Night. Now, I'm not sure how silent the first Christmas night or Christmas Eve night really was. In reality, it was probably a bit chaotic. It was probably a bit noisy. It was probably a bit painful. But my prayer for you today is that as you prepare for Christmas morning, that you would take some time today or tonight and you would prayerfully reflect on this series on contentment. And that you would allow Christ to quiet your noisy and restless heart. We've talked about how a discontented heart is, is restless, it's, it's noisy, it's, it's, it's unable to quiet itself down. And so yes, singing Silent Night, it is, it is kind of a Christmas Eve tradition for many of us. But the reason that I asked Seth to sing it today is because what I'm praying for you is that tonight... As you remember the birth of Christ, as you remember that God is with us, that that truth and that light would shine on any restless or noisy or discontented part of your heart, and that God would give you a silent heart tonight. 
that God would give you a heart tonight that could rest in a deep satisfaction with the will of God, regardless of how good or bad your life might be right now. That first Christmas and God's presence with us, it makes it possible for us to have a silent night and for us to have a quiet and contented heart tonight. And so take some time today. Please, please do it for me as one who's been, been trying to, to, to bring you the, these words these last few weeks to help you learn and grow in contentment. Don't, don't move on with, with the week too quickly and move on from this topic until you really do have some time to quiet your heart before the Lord and to ask him to help you have a contented heart. It's when we remember and believe that God is with us that this will cause us to have a deep satisfaction with the will of God. And even if our lives and our world seem like stories, a series of sad, unfortunate, joyless, and hopeless events, we can be content because God has not abandoned us. God has not kept his distance from us. No, the glory of Christmas is that God has come near. God has entered into his world and our lives. And so therefore, we can be content because God is with us. So let's pray. We'll look at these two verses in Hebrews, and then we'll, we'll continue to, to celebrate uh, and get you ready to be content for Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning and for this opportunity to open up your word and to receive, God, what you have for us today. And so, Lord, we ask that your word would, would accomplish uh, whatever it needs to accomplish in our lives. Lord, you know better than we do. You know better than I do. Some of us maybe need to be convicted by this word today. And I ask if that's the case, Lord, that you would convict. Some of us might need to, though, be comforted today by this word. And I ask, Lord, you would bring us your comfort as well. Some of us might just need to be reminded of some truths that we've forgotten. And so I ask God, you would use your word to remind us today. Lord, some of us maybe have never, never heard some of these things before, never heard some of these truths before. And if that's the case, God, would you open up our eyes that we might see the glory of Christ and that we might celebrate, maybe for the first time, a very merry Christmas with the light of Christ shining upon us. So we ask for your help. Please guide us by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Look with me now. Hebrews 13, just two verses this morning, verses 5 and 6. We will see in these two verses that we can be content because, uh, because God's presence brings his care to us, and aligns us with his cause. Okay, God's presence brings his care to us and aligns us with his cause. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me. The book of Hebrews is a letter that was originally sent to a group of Christians who had already started to experience some persecution for their faith, but more was headed their way. These were believers who were on the verge of losing all they had. 
for the sake of Christ. And so God is preparing them even more for this by freeing them from a love of money. Now, in their situation, their love of money might not have looked exactly like our situation. Uh, uh, I mean, they're on the verge of, of losing it all. It's not necessarily this group of believers was being super greedy and stingy and Ebenezer Scrooges to one another. That's not necessarily the context of the, the group of believers that receive this. No, they're on the verge of more intense persecution. They're on the verge of losing all material possessions, all wealth, everything that they have for the sake of Christ. And so God's word comes to them and is helping them prepare for that by breaking them free from this love of money because a love of money is not, is not only a love of actual money. It's a love of what you believe the money provides you. And a couple of things that we are all tempted to believe is that money provides us safety and significance. These are two things why we are tempted with a love of money. To, there's, there's many reasons, but two of the reasons that we'll talk about today is we love money because we love how it makes us feel safe and how it makes us feel significant. We love how money makes us feel safe. And we've talked about this already in this series, so we won't harp on it too much. But the author of Hebrews now is quoting from Joshua. He's quoting from Psalm 118. And he says, hey, you don't have to love money and the safety that you think it brings you. You can learn to be content with what you have. Why? Because God says... This is what God says. Anytime you're trying to quiet your heart, go and say, what does God say? God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And because God says that, look, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't it amazing how we can deceive ourselves into thinking that a few Benjamins provide us more safety than the creator of the universe? You see, a discontented person is discontent with the safety they have. They want to feel more safe. They, they, they want to feel a, a safety and a security that they don't quite yet have. And so they're discontented. They want more of it. And money is one of the things they think that will make them more safe. And so they need more of it because they need to feel more safe. But then the light of the world shines his light into our darkness. And we're reminded that God's presence brings to us his care and his help and his strength, and his refuge. How quickly we forget that God is present with us, and because God is present with us, he will take care of us. He is our helper. I mean, isn't that one of the most comforting things a friend or a family member can offer to us when we feel afraid? They can offer to us their presence. They can just be with us. When a small child is afraid in the middle of the night, what do they need the most? Do they need you to reason through a deductive argument, showing them just how illogical their fears are right in that moment? No, they just need you to be present with them. 
They need to be reminded that you are there with them, even though they can't see you in the dark. You're just on the other side of the wall. You're there. You're still with them. This is what fearful people need. They need to be more aware of the presence of God in their lives. When Christ humbled himself and took on flesh and was born in Bethlehem, God shined his light on the world and reminded his people that he was with them. And church, after Christ's death and resurrection, he sent to us the Holy Spirit to not just be with us, but to dwell now inside of us. And so when you put your faith in Christ, God's spirit now comes and dwells inside of you. Christ's body, the church, surrounds you, and the Father watches over you. A Christian is never truly alone. We might feel alone at times, but the truth is a Christian is never truly alone. And therefore, you do not need more money in order to be content and to feel safe and secure No, what you ultimately need is more awareness of God's presence with you. And he's with you. He's with you to take care of you. In Christ, look, the word says, you can confidently say in Christ, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, church, his presence brings to us his care. And some of you, you you struggle with never feeling cared for enough. Some of you are discontent because you haven't gotten that safety and that security that you're longing for. You feel like you just, you've been longing to be cared for, but no one has quite done it enough. And so you're discontent because of that. You've looked to get the care that you want and long for from your spouse. You've looked to get it from your family. You've looked to get it from your friends, your parents, from your kids. And all the holidays remind you of is all the care you didn't get from your family that you were looking for them to give you. And so you're discontent with it. You're sorrowful over it. The care that you're longing for, that safety and security you wanted, you haven't fully been satisfied by it with your family and friends. You've looked to get it from your church. You've looked to get it from your city group. You've looked to get it from your pastors. And yes, listen, absolutely, God does extend his care through us in many ways. He absolutely does. We should be caring for one another. But listen, the only people who can confidently with a contented heart say, I will not fear what can man do to me. The only people that can really say that, those are not people who are looking to their spouse or their parents or their kids or their friends or their church or their pastors for their ultimate care. Those are people who can say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my ultimate caregiver. And even if every person I know abandons me, God never will. I am content, I am safe, and I am secure because the Lord is the one who will never leave me nor forsake me. His presence, church, brings to us his care, and it is his present care and his help that when experienced and depended upon over time, it causes our hearts to learn contentment because we know that God is with us and he cares for us and he is our helper, and therefore we need not fear. Everyone else in your life will fall short of the care you are longing for. 
And the obvious question to be asked is, why have you looked to everyone else for care before your creator? Look to the manger and look to the cross and see that he cares for you. We can be content because God's presence brings to us his care. But you know what? A discontented heart and a love of money, it's not just a love of safety for everyone. Some of you maybe really resonate with that. Others of you don't. Others of you are discontent because you are now looking to money and other things to make you feel like your life is significant. Doesn't, doesn't money do that for some of us, right? We get a raise, and all of a sudden now we feel like, okay, yes, the company, my boss, uh, they see how significant I am. They see how important I am. I must be doing significant work because I've gotten an increased amount of money. And when we don't have an increased amount of money, we feel like maybe the work we're doing isn't significant. A discontented heart typically does not either feel safe enough or does not feel significant enough or both. We can become discontent because we want our life to count for something. We do. We want to do something important and significant. And yet, if we're honest, most of life feels just so ordinary. And this is where, church, we must see that, yes, his presence does bring to us his, his care to us, but it also aligns us with his cause, with his mission. Now, for those of you who feel like your life is just uh, so ordinary and insignificant, what a comforting thing it is that once a year we get to celebrate that the creator of the universe entered into his world to carry out his mission in the world, and he did such in a very humble, in a very ordinary, in a very seemingly insignificant way. The birth of Jesus Christ went unnoticed by most people because they weren't looking for it. And yet it was his presence that made all these seemingly insignificant people, the the shepherds and the magi and and Mary and Joseph, it was God's presence that made all these seemingly insignificant people, he made them now very significant because his presence brought them into alignment with the plans and purposes of God. Mary and Joseph, they were an ordinary engaged couple And then God's presence shows up in their lives and they're now aligned and united with the plans and purposes of God. And church, the same is true for every person who welcomes Jesus into their life. When Jesus comes into your life, he brings you into alignment with his mission in the world. The person who is discontent is discontent because they feel like life is, their life is insignificant. That person has forgotten or never realized that God's presence is with us and his presence has united us to his cause. And his mission in the world is gloriously significant. And he came to earth so that we could be part of that mission. But get this, most of the time, the significance of the part we play, most of the time it does go unnoticed by most people 
because they aren't looking for it. Now remember, in order to learn contentment, we have to grow in believing and trusting in the fact that God is sovereign, God is wise, and God is good. And we know that God is fighting a very wise war against the enemy. When God scattered the people across the earth and confused their languages at Babel, he was content for a time to give them over to other spiritual entities that their rebellious hearts desired to seek after. But the plan was, at some point, to bring them all back to him. And when Christ was born, the invasion had begun. The ground war was started, and ever since that time, through Christ's presence on earth, and later through the Holy Spirit's indwelling of his people, God is now on a mission to bring all the nations of the earth to worship and glorify Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is what the prophet Isaiah said would happen when the long-expected Savior was born. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Church, Jesus Christ is not a baby anymore. He's a resurrected king seated on the throne. And for the last 2,000 years, his government and peace have continued to extend further and further. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he has given us each a part to play in this mission here on earth. Jesus, after his resurrection, makes it clear that God is not content to be just the God of one people group, but that he's calling all nations to himself, and he calls us to join with him on this mission. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, here it is again, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, how can we feel discontent when we're reminded of God's presence and when we're reminded that God's presence with us has aligned us and united us with his cause, with his mission. And we are now a part of the most significant and glorious and successful mission that there has ever been or that there ever will be. And yet part of God's scheme or tactics is that ground is gained against the enemy, typically through very humble ordinary, and seemingly insignificant ways. This is how God is gaining ground. This is how Jesus came to earth in a very humble, ordinary, seemingly insignificant way, and therefore do not believe the lie that your life is insignificant with Christ. 
You were created to be an image bearer of God. You were saved and redeemed to be a co-heir with Christ. God's word says that God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Because Christ came, because he is with you, your life has been aligned with his cause and his mission, and it is incredibly significant because of Christ's presence in your life. Look no further than the manger scene to see that God oftentimes does significant things in seemingly insignificant ways. And so as I was thinking through all the ways, I, I just feel life can be insignificant. Um, is this really doing anything? Is this really making a difference? I think about my, my personal prayer time with the Lord. And that's a place I'm tempted often to feel, God, is, this, is there any significance to this? Is this really doing anything? God, are you really hearing me? Is this, is this changing anything? Is this important? Is this significant? And I know many of you could feel the same way in your prayer time. But church, what made the manger scene significant was the fact that God was there. God was there. It was his presence. And what makes your time spent in prayer significant is not necessarily the results or what you can see is happening right away or anything like that. What makes your time of prayer significant is that God is there. Remember God's presence when you pray. Or what about this? Your, your dinner table. Your dinner table and the meals you share with the friends and family that you share it with and the conversation you have and the devotionals you read and the prayers you pray at your dinner table. Your dinner table has great significance in the mission of God if God is there. Do you remember that God is with you? Do you see how God's presence with you at the dinner table can allow God's mission to carry forth in the world, for God to gain ground on the enemy, to push back on the schemes of Satan, sin, and death? Do not think of your dinner table as an insignificant thing. I think of uh, times when Justin and Debbie Williams, our friends in Uganda, are, are here visiting and we get to share a meal with them. I mean, oftentimes, you know, we'll have them over for lunch or something after they're here. And, and, and I think of, man, this is a significant meal. Why? Because Justin and Debbie are here. Like, I, I, I want other people to meet them. I want them to hear their story. I want, to, I want people to hear what God is doing through them. And it's a significant meal, all because of who is present at the table. Listen, for those of you who are in Christ, God is present with you around your table. It's significant. Remember God's presence when you are changing diapers and raising kids. Remember God's presence when you go to work. You might feel like your job is insignificant. But if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, then whatever workplace you step into, the presence of God steps into. And listen, God does not do insignificant work. And neither do you if you're united to him and aware of his presence. Everywhere that God's presence is, is significant. And church, we are, we are prone to be discontent 
when we don't realize just how significant our life really is because of God's presence with us. You are one for whom Christ died and was raised. You are one whose eyes have been opened to see Christ's light. You are one who the Holy Spirit now dwells inside. Are we really going to allow ourselves to feel discontent and like our life is insignificant? Oh, you see, it's ultimately growing in an awareness of his presence that helps us learn contentment, for it's his presence that satisfies our desire for safety and significance. And it's the Christmas story that shines the light of Christ on our lives and shows us that God is with us, that Christ has entered into our world and into our lives. And so in C.S. Lewis's book, The Horse and His Boy, that I mentioned at the start, it wasn't until Aslan shined light on Shasta's story that Shasta saw just how much care he'd received and just how much significance he'd been given. He, he, didn't, he didn't realize it at first because he didn't realize uh, Aslan's presence that was with him all throughout it. But right when Aslan shines light on Shasta's story, he now realizes just how much care he had received and just how much significance he had been given. Before the light came, his life just looked like a series of sad, unrelatable, unfortunate, joyless, and hopeless events. But then towards the end of the book, Shasta gets to talk to Aslan. For those of you that aren't familiar, Aslan's kind of the Christ-like figure, and he is a lion. And this is the best part of the book. He talks to Aslan at the very end. Aslan speaks to Shasta and he sheds light on all these unfortunate events. And Aslan says, I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis. There's a friend that he he, uh, uh, partnered up with on the journey. He says, I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. I was the lion who you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to the shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. You see, Shasta was fearful, anxious, distraught, and discontent about the circumstances of his life until he became aware of Aslan's presence all throughout it. And he hadn't seen it. He'd missed it up until that point. And church, someday, someday, you will see how everything in your life, whether good or bad, Our sovereign, wise, and good God has been present with you through it all. And the more you appreciate the presence of God in your life, the more aware you will become of just how much care you've received and just how much significance you've been given. The more you appreciate the presence of God in your life, the more aware you will become of just how much care you've received and how much significance you've been given. Church, we will continue to be discontent until we live with a constant awareness that God is with us. 
And so today and tomorrow and the rest of the week, look to the light of the world who came into the world to shine his light on our lives so that we might see how much care we've received, how much significance we've been given in Christ. We can be content because God is with us. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would continue to help us learn contentment. Show us, Lord, what parts of our hearts and minds are still noisy and restless and discontent. And Lord, I ask that today you would give us the supernatural strength and ability to quiet our hearts before you. To grow in our awareness and appreciation of your presence with us. That we might see all the ways that you have cared for us. And that we might be empowered with all the significance you've given us in Christ. For Lord, you you came to bring us into a part of your mission and your plans and purposes for the world. You didn't need us, but, but you've graciously given us a part to play. So Lord, help us not despair. Help us not be discouraged. Help us not be discontent in the seemingly insignificant things we do each and every day. But Lord, may we see that you are, if you are with us, Everything we do carries great significance for both now and into eternity. May we be more aware of your presence even now in this moment. Brother or sister, you are never truly alone. If you have Christ, you are never truly alone alone. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to go into celebrating the Lord's Supper together. For what we are reminded of with communion is very important to be a part of what we remember as we celebrate Christmas. For in order for God to be with us, he had to deal with the sin that separated us from him. And so he gave himself for us on the cross as a substitutional sacrifice. He took the punishment that our sin deserved. And it was the greatest gift that anyone could ever give you. Many of you, uh, again, I want you to be content, but most of you, you might get a gift in the next couple of days. The greatest gift, though, anyone could ever give is to give you themselves. And God, the greatest treasure in the universe, gave us himself. But to receive a gift is also a very humbling thing. Some gifts are especially humbling. For example, and forgive me for being a little humorous, but I I think it helps with the point. If you were to receive a gift of toothpaste or deodorant tomorrow, those gifts would be a bit humbling, wouldn't they? 
because they're telling you what someone thinks you need. Now, the gift that God gave us is the greatest gift he could ever give, but it is also the most humbling gift he could ever give because he's telling us that we needed a savior and that we could not save ourselves. And many refuse the greatest gift that's ever been given because they refuse in their pride to humble themselves and see what a great need they had. God gave us a Savior, which is a great gift, but it is a humbling uh, gift because it reminds us that we needed saving. In order to receive God's gift, you must be humble enough to accept that you needed a Savior, that you and your good works could not do it in your own strength, that your sin created this this debt and guilt that you could never repay to God. And so, yes, we celebrate Christmas this morning, and we celebrate that the body that was nailed to the cross was the same body that was formed in Mary's womb the body that was taken on by the eternal word of God in order that it might be broken for you and for me. The blood that began to circulate in the veins of Jesus before he was even born was the blood that was to be shed for you and me on the cross. Christmas is the opening move in God's salvation of his people. Communion causes us to reflect on the closing move, the cross. And so, church, I want to give you a couple of minutes now in in silent prayer to prayerfully consider the fact that Christmas and communion are to be understood together as part of the same story of our great God and Savior who did come to dwell with us. But in order to dwell with us, he had to die for us so that our sin could be washed away and we could be reconciled to him. Let's pray.